Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. I, I want to add my, my sincere thanks to, to every, every veteran who has served. Um, you, are, you are loved and appreciated. I was uh, just thinking and praying about the incredible service um, that you have given to this country and that our freedom came at a very high price and every one of you played a part in that. Um, I will give you one very fun Veterans Day fact. This is the only time we can ever say this in history, but does anybody know what's special about this exact particular Veterans Day? It's a neat piece of... Tr- it's the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I. So do we have any veterans who served in that? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, I thought that was really neat. I mean, what a, what a great cause for celebration. Um, so listen, it is an auspicious Sunday for that reason, but it, it's also kind of an auspicious Sunday because after nine months, uh, we are right at the end of the book of Romans. Um, we have been preaching Romans with, with a couple of other sermons thrown in there, but we've been preaching the book of Romans for nine months, almost a year. And, and I just want to thank you for hanging in there, but doing more than hanging in there with us. So many of you have said to me, I never realized how rich it was. Just as Paul is informed and challenged and built this theology, uh, you know, he, he's talked about our lives in Christ. He's reminded us of what God has done. Um, at the end of the book, he's, he's been so practical to just apply what, what it means to live for Jesus um, as individuals, but even, even being gutsy enough to take the principles and appro- apply them to problems in the church. Romans is an absolute feast. And so here we are at, at the very end of the book, and, and I, I am going to stretch it out to two sermons, but today is the last teaching segment of Romans. It's in chapter 15. And what Paul is going to do today is he is going to encourage the church to fully embrace their God-given role in society. So this is not just a great message for Roman Christians in the first century. This is huge for KPC because you know, if you're like me, you've been to other churches and you've lived through different phases of this church's life. Churches get off track. We become about a lot of different things, some of them very good, but we've got a very clear mandate. And Paul today is going to talk to the church about here is why you're here. And he's also going to frame that in the context of his God-given assignment. So are y'all ready for the last teaching segment of Romans? Good, because you're going to get it anyway. Let me read it to you. Romans 15, 14 through 21. Paul writes to the church saying, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. 
It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, I just thank you for, uh, for what bubbled up in my heart during worship today, which was that we have the privilege of asking you to do things that no one else can do. Father, we, we in, in, in any moment of our lives, we can ask for forgiveness. We can ask for healing. We can ask for, for resurrection life and revival. Lord, we, we can ask for, for, for victory, for love, for peace. Th- those are things that we can just go and say, Lord, would you give them to us? But they're also realities of the kingdom of God that we live in all the time. We are forgiven. We are healed. We are loved. We are victorious. And so, Father, we just thank you today for a passage where Paul really goes at that. I thank you for what he's going to talk to the church about, and I pray that we as the church can really hear him and step into the fullness, the fullness of life with you and mission for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, um, we have all heard it said before, and it, it, so it's not, not too much of a stretch to say this, but we have all heard it said before that we live in a shame-based culture. Now, that is not always true with everybody. You know, it's not like we're all running around shaming each other 24 hours a day. But I think there's a lot of truth in that statement that we use too often shame, disgrace, embarrassment, and humiliation, first of all, to make people feel bad. Um, has, has that ever happened to you as a kid? Have you as a parent ever done that to your child? I mean, we use it, first of all, to make sure the person feels bad, but also to motivate the person, and I'll just slip in another M word, to manipulate the person, to snap out of whatever the problem is, and to do what we want them to do. In other words, too often in American culture, if we want someone to change their ways, we will name, we will blame, and we will shame, okay? So it happens a lot. Having said that, look at how Paul comes out of the gate to the Roman church in Romans 15, 14. You know, we just got done looking at kind of one of the uglier moments for the Roman church where they've been guilty of some very petty behavior They've been very childish. They've been ungodly. Um, I I think what Paul is saying here is, look, they've even been pretty mean, you know, looking down on each other with contempt and, you know, judging each other and sniping and fighting. The the church has, has not had one of its best moments, but look at what Paul says to them. Instead of loading up the gun and firing away at both barrels, just hitting them in the chest with how bad they are, Paul says, I am convinced that you are full of goodness, you are filled with knowledge, and that means the knowledge of God, and you are competent to instruct one another. So do you see what Paul has just done? Instead of harping on their rotten behavior as Christians lately, Paul points to the good inside of them. Instead of focusing on how they blew it, God points to what, uh, Paul points to what God has done in them. And, and, and the heart of this is Paul is reminding the church, because you know, sometimes a reminder of who you are is a whole lot better than just you know, telling you what you've done wrong. Pa- Paul reminds them of what has been true from the very beginning. 
You know, in the very beginning, God created mankind in what? In his image. Paul is pointing back to the image that they were made in. I think of uh, uh, Genesis 131, where right after the creation of man, it says God looked at what he had made, mankind, and he said it's very good. And then, of course, we know how the story progresses with, with humanity, you know? Well, it takes humanity about five minutes to sin and reject God, you know, and run the other way, away from the image of God and relationship with God. So man blows it, falls into sin. Well, what does God do? Well, you know, well, good. Good luck with that. You know, you're all going to burn one day. Enjoy what's coming. God doesn't do that. He sends in the fullness of time Jesus Christ to rescue and restore Mankind to what? To original goodness, right? To bring us back to the image of God and that relationship with God. And then we read later in the New Testament, you know, that that Jesus has begun this very good work in us, and he is bound and determined Jesus will complete it. Jesus means to complete what he started. And so Paul talks to this church that's really been struggling with their behavior about that reminding them of their goodness, reminding them of what God has put in them. And what Paul is doing here is he is speaking to the good in them. He is calling out the good in them. He's calling them to embrace it. Now, so often in religion or religious circles, what what do we hear um, when when it comes to to problems out there in the world? You know, I I know as a pastor, I hear people come up to me sometimes, and not just here, but this happened everywhere. And you know what, pastor, you know what you need to do? You need to preach more about sin. We We need to be reminded of exactly what sin is and who's a sinner. And, you know, we need to talk about what's wrong. You know, look at the headlines out there. Look at the evil in the world. You know, we need, we need to camp out on this. And, you know, the bottom line is the beloved of God need to behave. And we, we need society to get in line with the church. That's just not Paul's approach here. Paul doesn't do that. Instead, he wants us to remember that in the beginning, we were very good. In the beginning, we were whole. We were in relationship with God. There's a, there's a good word for that. And, and the word is holy. And Jesus came to restore our goodness, to, to bring us into the fullness of goodness. And Paul just wants us to be very aware that there is a really good work in here. And he wants us to step into it. Um, I'll give you an example in my life. I remember when I was a teenager, um, I'm glad I don't have videotape of any of this, but I, I remember when I was a teenager, and I strayed a long way away from Christ. And there was a point in my life, I was 16, 17 years old, where I was so full of regret and shame. I, I remember I just thought, God is done with me. And he's, just, he's just done with me for good. And one of the most profound moments for me as a prodigal was when my best friend's father, Dr. Luke Sampson, he's a plastic surgeon in Wilmington, one of the godliest men I ever knew, he took me by the shoulders. And remember, I'm a dirty prodigal right now. Took me by the shoulders, looked me in the eyes, and he said, Steve, you are a good boy. Now, now that sounds like a simple thing, you know? But you know what happened to me when he said those anointed words, he spoke to the goodness that was asleep in me, and it just woke up. I woke up to goodness. 
And I remember, it was, it was my first real encounter with the Holy Spirit. The goodness of God just coursed through my veins, pumped through my heart, went into my mind, and I just hungered for God again. That's what Paul is doing to the church. You know, it, it, this is what he's saying. And John Eldridge, who took a lot of heat for this uh, in, in the early 2000s, he talks about this. He's, he, he wrote in this book, he says, you know, all of us, we all humanity, we crave goodness. We ache to be good. And the good news of the gospel is God wants to make us whole. God, God, God wants to bring us forward in this way. This is what Paul is saying to the Roman, to the Roman church. Roman church, there is goodness in you. Live from that reality. Let that fuel you. Let that fill you. Let that light you up. Okay, so, so if you're a husband, what does that mean? Oh, let the goodness of God infect your relationship with your wife. Let the goodness of God spill over into your children. You know, in relationships with your friends, let the goodness of God just swallow them up. Let it sweeten the bond between you and your brothers and sisters. Out there in the world, let the goodness of God fly from your lips and hook people who don't know Jesus and just reel them into Christ. And then for the church as a whole, let the goodness of God, let it light us up like a city on a hill at nighttime that the whole world sees. And, you know, they just come like, like moths to a flame to the goodness of Jesus Christ in us. I tell you, folks, it is a radical difference. In fact, you know what it is? It's a paradigm shift to move from what's wrong to the goodness of God. I'll tell you an example. Um, My children years ago went to a uh, a Christian school, high school in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, they were recruited by the principal um, because they were Christian kids, and he said, look, I, I will scholarship you to come to this private Christian school but, um, and your, your role here is to be great students and to be a, a great example to the other kids. And so, here's the thing about the school. The school was designed for kids who are troubled, burned out, drug addicts, absolute losers. So, these were kids that had failed everywhere else in Charlotte. Half of them had been expended, uh, expelled or suspended. I created a new word there. You can use it. Feel free. It's not copywritten. But, you know, these kids were losers in life. And, and I was their chaplain. And so, every day on the first day of school, I would have to go to this assembly that Dr. Bruce Corwin uh, would, would, so you get all the students there and all the teachers. And he would say this to the kids. He would say, okay, Let's just go ahead and start with the obvious. You kids have been failures everywhere else. But you're not everywhere else now. You're with me. And I want you to know that you are good students. Every one of you in this school, everybody starts on the honor roll. Every one of you is an A student. And I'm going to do my very best as your principal, and so are these teachers, to keep you on that honor roll. And now that you're good students, I expect you to do your part as well. Now, here's what happened from that one little speech, okay? Calling again to what? To the good in these kids. What happened? You had a few. You had a handful of kids they just went ahead and flamed on out, at least for this season of their lives. But for most of those kids, their destiny changed in that moment. 
And Bruce Corwin, I mean, you can already tell, if, if he's bringing that, this guy is full of the Spirit of God and the love of Jesus. It was like every year he would speak that, I would have prickles just going up and down my spine. You could just feel the anointing. You, you could just hear this, this, this papa just calling out of these kids what everybody else had forgotten about. Everybody had given up on them, but not Bruce. And again, that is Paul's point to the Roman church. You were made in the image of God. Christ has found you. He has rescued you. You, church, are here with me now, and you are full of goodness. You know this stuff. You can teach one another. And then Paul goes on in verse 15, and now he explains why he confronted them. Because if you remember from the sermon a couple weeks ago, Paul really confronted the church. Paul's point in confronting the church earlier was not to shame them. Paul's point was to remind them, which is one of the great themes of the Old Testament. The word remember, 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 remember. It shows up all over the place. Paul wants them to remember who their God is. Remember who they are and get back on track as God's mission. And then basically for the rest of the passage, what Paul does is he puts himself out there as an example of a life that's on track with God. So Paul shares a little bit of his testimony with the church to encourage them to step into goodness. And Paul says in verses 16 through 20, um, he goes on to just tell them about himself and what he's about for God. Um, he, he's kind of starting with the presumption. Everyone knows that Paul began life as a train wreck, right? He's a persecutor of the church, murdering Christians. Paul, Paul was a bad dude for a while. Everybody knows that, that Paul was saved. So Paul starts off there saying, look, I am a person who has run into the goodness of God. God has poured his goodness out on me. He uses the word grace here. God gave me grace. God called me, gifted me, and empowered me to spend the rest of my life, now that I'm good, now that I am in Jesus, doing three things for God. And the three things are this. Number one, being a priest. Number two, being a minister. And number three, being a pioneer. So, uh, so uh, let me get to this. Um, first of all, as a priest, Paul says, God gave me the duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you just listen to that, if you really heard it, you realize, wait a minute, this is a different kind of priest than I thought Paul was going to talk about. Because what do we think of with a priest, you know? We think of a guy in a robe, and, you know, uh, maybe if he's Catholic, you know, he's got one of those little smoking censers, and, you know, they're all about religious rituals and sacrifices and ceremonies. That's not the kind of priest Paul is saying he is. He's saying, look, I am a priest, and I am someone who offers sacrifices, but the sacrifices that I offer now, they're not dead animals the sacrifices I offer are Gentiles who are getting saved. So he's saying, I go out there, I proclaim Christ, and then I'm just presenting this one to God. I'm presenting that one to God. This is a different kind of priest that Paul is talking about. You know, they become part of God's family. Here's another one, Lord. Here's someone else who's a part of your mission. And looking back on this with Paul in 17 and 18, he loves, loves being a priest for God. He says, therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and I have done. So Paul is a very different kind of priest. Kind of neat. 
Second thing Paul points to is himself as a minister, and specifically, Paul points to the power of God at work, at, him, at work through him as a minister of Christ in verse 19. He says, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, I do ministry. Now, here is what Paul is not saying, okay? Paul is not saying, look, every single time I preach and every single time I pray, supernatural miracles happen. Now, of course, he is saying, hey, sometimes they do happen. So here's what Paul is all about here. He is a man who has a ministry of both word and deed, okay? So Paul is a speaker and Paul is a doer. Paul is emphatically saying here to us, look, God's power is always released in some form, in some manner, whenever I preach, proclaim, pray, plant churches in people's lives in the surrounding community. And you might say, okay, well, Steve, it sounds like you're splitting a hair here. What do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. Paul's measure of success is not how many miracles happened in my ministry today, okay? Paul's measure of success are how many people are coming to Jesus Christ. Jim pointed that out, and I love that you said that, Jim. You said the greatest miracle is salvation. That's where Paul's head is at. Now, as he ministers, he is saying, look, the power of God will always show up in some way. God is always going to show up in the moment, in whatever way is needed, in somebody's life, God will speak their language. You know, God may heal their body. God might turn the lights on over here for somebody. God will always show up if I am faithful in the ministry. So in other words, you know, Paul is saying, Paul is not running around chasing miracles. Paul's got the attitude of, if I'm faithful and I am fully open to God, signs will follow me. You know, wonders that they will occur. Whatever is needed is going to happen. And um, so anyway, and then finally, Paul points to his God-given calling as a pioneer in verses 19 and 20 through 21. Now, this one sometimes is, you know, we're a little reticent to accept this one. But hear Paul out. Paul says, God has called me to proclaim Christ all the way from, uh, from Jerusalem, all the way around to Illyricum. Now, if you open the maps in the back of your Bibles and you look at Paul's missionary journeys, basically it is one big circle with a whole lot of crossing in the middle and doubling back. And Paul is just saying, look, for Jesus Christ, I go everywhere he's never been heard. Man, I, I, all over the Middle East. In other words, Paul is always on the lookout for the neighbor who hasn't heard. The, the, the person who's hurting and empty and, and, and lost. He's saying, look, the, my, my, everything that fuels me here is just that those who haven't, haven't heard of Christ, oh, they're going to see him. Those who haven't heard, oh, they're going to understand. So he's a priest, he's a minister, and he's a pioneer. Now, I was talking to someone very close to me last week, and I won't mention him, who it was, and because um, it was nobody in the church, just so you know. And the person said, you know, I just think Paul, I think the Apostle Paul is just a jerk. I was like, why do you say that? And he said, you know, well, he's just, you know, he's, he's so hard about things. I'm like, ah, I don't think you've really studied Paul. Well, well yeah, but he just comes off as just kind of a bragger. It is easy to read this passage 
And to think, you know, well, look, Paul is encouraging the church, and all of a sudden he's talking about, hey, I'm a priest, I'm a minister, I'm a pioneer. You know, it, it feels like, and like my friend was saying, sometimes Paul just kind of, he kind of goes into, you know, just kind of this braggart mode, and he's kind of primping and preening, and he's kind of showing off and lining everybody up, and, you know, he's kind of God's man of the hour, and if we're ever going to get it together, we've got to be just like Paul. But I've got a better visual illustration, um, well, of, of what some people think Paul is up to here. Could you roll this for us, uh, Harrison? This is not what Paul is doing, by the way. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Paul is not doing that. Okay. Paul, Paul here is not being a Barney Fife. And actually, whenever Paul steps up and uses himself as an example, he's never doing this. Okay. He's never being this drill sergeant who's trying to send the church into battle without a gun. What Paul is doing here is he is breathing courage and destiny into the church. I mean, here in this passage, Paul is saying, look, what is in me, it's also in you. You know, what, what God has called me to as a priest and a pioneer and a minister, God's called you to. You know, the, the ways God has shown up in my life, he's going to show up in your life. The results I've seen, you're going to see. In other words, Paul's saying, look, folks, if I can do it, you can do it. And he's inviting them to join it by, by, again, starting with the goodness of God. In the, and there's a reason why Paul has to do this. I think we already know why Paul has to do this for the church. It's because too often in the church, we fall into the rut. We're so prone to wander, one of Mark's favorite statements, we're so prone to wander just into that rut that other religious people before us have fallen into. And so Paul doesn't want the church to come and gather together and only do life together. That describes so many churches that I've been a part of in times past. It's, it's just all right here. In the, Paul's saying, no, don't do that. It's not just about you. He's calling the church not to become addicted to religion. You know, fixate on, on worship meetings and rituals and forget about the rest. Paul is calling the church away from obsession with what we want as Christians, when we want it, how we want it, and all of that. Because you see, when the church does that, when the church doesn't heed the words of Paul here and step into this, what happens to the church, Veterans Day, how appropriate is this, is we become like an army that does nothing but sit around camp all day long. You know, we're armed, we're trained, there's a war going on, but all we're doing is our little tiny church life. And what happens to an army that never breaks camp is, well, chapter 14 of Romans, uh, you know, they end up sniping and looking down on each other and being so bored. There's no other enemy but one another. And Paul is calling us out. He's saying, you know, you guys, every one of us, and, and hear this personally if you can today, every one of us, we are priests who are meant to present, save people to God. I mean, what a beautiful title for you to walk out of here with today. We are ministers who are meant to proclaim God in power. You know that? It's part of the reason I prayed that we would understand the reality we're already in. We are ministers meant to proclaim God in power. We're also pioneers who are meant to bring Christ everywhere where he's not been heard. Everywhere there's a person and the lights aren't on and something else is in the way like anger and hurt and emptiness and all of that. Paul wants the Roman church to awaken to who they are, to remember who their God is. 
Paul is saying, please join me. So folks, at the end of all that, that is finally the book of Romans, okay? And um, you're going to get really mad in a minute when I tell you something, but we'll hold this for a second. What Paul has done here is he has given the church rock-solid biblical theological foundation to build their faith so they can live an effective life for God, so they can make Jesus Christ known everywhere. That's what all this has been about. What's going to make you mad is I could have actually summed up the whole book of Romans in two words. I know. Uh, And actually, all of Paul's life in two words. The call is to worship and to witness. That's what the whole book of Romans is all about. It is about worship and witness. These are the two great callings of the church of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this, when a church gets imbalanced, okay, unbalanced, you know what that looks like? Like, you know, like if I start saying like this, whenever churches get unbalanced in, in the U.S., what tends to happen is they focus on one at the expense of the other. Now, which one do you think churches usually focus on and let go of? Yeah, they focus on worship and they let go of witness. But that, that is a very imbalanced church. When churches die altogether, it's because they let them both go, you know? Have you ever been in a church before where you might be singing, but you ain't worshiping? And there certainly is no witness going on. That is the, that is the death song of a church. But I'll tell you, the church thrives when we give our whole selves to worship, and then we turn around and we give our whole selves to witness. You know what I just laid out for you? The two greats, the greatest commandment and the great commission, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. That is that whole life of worship. And then the marching orders of the church, which have never changed since Jesus said them, go out into all the world and proclaim to all creation, right? Making disciples, um, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. But folks, we hold on to those two as a church, and we got it. We got it. Church never needs to be any more complicated than a life of worship and a life of witness, all right? So here's what we're going to do. Next week, appropriately, is Thanksgiving. So we are going to finish up uh, Romans 16, As Paul does something that I think is pretty neat at the end of the book, he just ends up loving the people back who have made it possible for him to be and do everything he's done. And we're going to have some fun with that next week. Um, We're going to lean into Thanksgiving, and we're going to love on some people around here who have made a real difference um, in KPC. So uh, we'll see what that looks like. I hope the staff has figured that out because that was one of my marching orders before before I went on, on study leave. So let me pray for us. Father God, we love you and we worship you. And Lord, I am so thankful that, that, you know, God, we can go to seminary. We can read uh, theological volume after theological volume, and it's all such wonderful information. But the Christian life is not complicated. The church's identity is so clear. God, what we are to be about, who we are to be, who our, who our daddy is, it's so simple. And so, Father, I just ask that, that we would remember our identity that we wouldn't get caught up in the headlines of the day or, Lord, we wouldn't get beaten down and begin to believe the lie that we don't have what it takes, that we're not good, but that, Father, we would look back at creation and we would remember how we would create it. 
Father, we would look at the cross and we would remember how we've been reclaimed. And that, Father, we would even look at Pentecost and just see how we have been revived and resurrected to do an amazing thing in our world. Father, may KPC be known as a place of worship, a place of witness, a city on a hill. Light us up, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.